Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to Basics. With me today is Dr. Deborah Heiser. She's an applied developmental psychologist, a TEDx speaker, consultant, coach, award-winner researcher, and the founder of The Mentor Project. Deborah has additionally authored peer review articles, is co-editor of Spiritual Assessment and Intervention with Older Adults, and a frequent expert guest for syndicated and local talk radio shows, international and local podcasts, and print and online media outlets. She has been quoted in the New York Times, Seattle Times, Dallas Times, and contributed also to Thrive Global. With that said, hello. Um, how should I call you? Debbie, Dr. Heiser, how do you? <laughs> Debbie is fine. <laughs> Debbie, welcome to Back to Basics. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be on here with you, Leticia. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I'm very, very excited. I mean, you know, anybody that founds nonprofit organization, you know, to mentor others and to promote mentoring is definitely someone I want to talk about. And uh, but before we get there, I definitely want to go backwards with you in terms of, you know, getting to know your childhood and what your path has been. How do you get to do what you're doing today? Oh, all the way back to my childhood. That's a long time ago. Yeah, I want to I know. I know you're based in New sure. York. Are you originally from New York? No, not originally. I'm originally from Iowa and moved out to New York when I was pretty young. But I, uh, you know, our family was the only ones here. It was actually, it's actually quite interesting because the rest were still out there. I'm the only one left in New York, um, as a matter oh, of fact. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, so I decided as a as a very young adult to pursue psychology because my grandmother was in an assisted living facility and she just wasn't acting like grandma. Uh, she was, mm -hmm. we didn't, I didn't know what it was, but she was depressed and she was exhibiting all of the classic signs and symptoms of depression. She wasn't pleased with anything. We'd bring her things and she'd say, no, I don't want that book. I don't want that food. I don't want whatever it was. And we were saying that there's something wrong with grandma. And so what was amazing was there was a psychologist in the assisted living who said, don't worry, we're going to fix grandma. So we oh, did. Oh, wow. She got through her depression. And that made me realize the power of psychology and working with older adults and how important that was. And so I pursued a degree in psychology and then went on to work in the field to see if I liked it. And I did. And then went on to graduate school for applied developmental psychology uh, to go into research so that I could research how to fix grandmas everywhere. Uh, but it I love out. that. I love that. 
you know, of all the stories I've heard about, you know, because I'm always very keen on learning the path just because to that, like to identify if there were passions as a child that people had and then they ignore them and then they went on to do something else. And then at some point in your life, you want to reconnect with those passions and, and what I call making you tick or stories like you were, you, you were inspired, I think, by something that happened to you and in your family. And then you say, okay, I'll study this and then I'll see if I like it, which is a, a different kind of approach to what we've heard from other guests. Yeah. I just dipped my toe in at first to see, uh, I, it was really such a foreign idea, but I don't think that I knew or that even a lot of people understand or realize the power of having a grandmother and how it, just seeing a grandparent suffer in some way can be a trigger. And it was for me. It really made me have the desire that no other grandma should ever have to suffer with depression. I love it. I love it. But also because you uh, young, you were able to identify that there was something that happened in you when you saw that situation that probably you were passionate about. And of course, it was your grandma. But, you know, as I and, and I think you're going to be a great uh, guest to have, because recently I've had a lot of young people asking me about, you know, can you mentor me into what what should I study? Can you mentor me into w which path? Mo most mo mostly vocational, right? Like they want to know what they're good at. And it's a hard question. And so. I think that this is a perfect example as a young person to see, okay, this something resonated with me in this situation. Let me go study it and then research it. <laughs> you know, you're so right. I was getting pushed down a path to go into business. And I really, you know, I thought, okay, all right, I can do that. And I might have done that and I might have been happy with that. I could have done a bunch of different things, but it was, it really ended up being that I had to go with what my real gut instinct and passion was. And I didn't, there were no programs at the time. This was in the early nineties. There were no real places to go to work in the field of aging. I had to really then sit out and carve it for myself, call some of the colleges that had graduate programs. I wanted to go for my PhD and there just weren't really a lot out there. And someone gave me good advice. He said, well, go to the school where you're going to want to live and then it, you'll make it happen. And that was good advice because I made it happen. I didn't have a program with an aging specialty, but I found people who could mentor me along the way and help me with my passions to research aging. And then it worked itself out. But I wanted to stay in New York. I knew that. And going to a program in New York allowed me to make connections in New York. There are little things that mentors along the way have helped to guide me with that have made a big difference in my life. Had I gone to another state, I probably would have made my connections there and wouldn't be in New York where, you know, where I remain now. That's that's powerful. Yeah, I, I almost instinctively, and I'm pretty sure at some point in in one of the other episodes I mentioned. So uh, to my audience there, if you heard the story, I apologize. But <laughs> but I was uh, sharing at some point that I went to talk to a lot of high school students, mostly women, girls, about what they wanted to study. And I was surprised. It was the first time I mentor young women in telecommunications, which is my industry. But someone asked me to do it at the high school level, which I find 
very powerful because that you really know you can make an impact in the trajectory of of a, of a young person. And it shocked me when I heard that like probably 80% of them wanted to be nurses. And I'm like, why everybody wants to be a nurse? I don't get it, you know, and like almost like if there were three things in the world, you could have been either a teacher or a nurse or business. And it was a a revelation for me. And one of the things of the question I I started asking is about, uh, tell me about the kind of lifestyle you want to have, you know, and then surprisingly enough, one of them said, well, I love to travel the world. And I said, well, you know, as a nurse, that's probably not the best career if you want to be someone that wants to travel the world. And so, and they realized that they had never seen it from that perspective. And it's kind of the same thing that you're saying right now. It's like that. The advice you got is like, okay, where, where do you want to live? And then you build it around it. And it's also a very kind of not that straightforward approach. You're so right. You know, when we think of our career and what we want to do, a lot of people, when I was growing up, guided based on, well, here's what you're going to be doing for eight hours of your day in this particular spot. They didn't think of it as working is part of your lifestyle. It's part of your life. It's part of who you are, no matter what job you do. And I think that by getting some of that non-conventional advice, like you gave, you know, maybe you'd like to travel, maybe you could go in a career in that direction that allows for that. That, that means the difference between really getting a lot out of a job or just doing a job. And so I think that the brilliant advice that you gave yeah, well, it, it it just came, you know, by by trial and error. <laughs> well, <laughs> my dad gave me that advice. I wanted to be a lawyer, and I'm originally from Venezuela. And he told me you have to have a career that is exportable, and that you can export anywhere you go. You know, you can use it. And and you know, at the time, I kind of you know struggled with that. But then I studied business, which is what he wanted me to study. And then now I see it. I completely see it, and I passed that advice, you know, down the road that if you are someone that maybe wants to be, you know, moving from place to place or or exploring other countries, it's better to study something that allows you to do that. But in any case, so you went on to do this aging research. I'm curious about what can you share about your findings in the in the research? And I'm sure it's very extensive, but I'm sure you have things that you found out or that stuck with you in the work you did there. Uh, Yeah, you know, I I started out actually working in a psychiatric hospital, and that was with depression. And that was really pretty exciting work, which made me decide I really want to go ahead and continue on. So the next area that I looked at on my own when I started a research program within a large nursing home in New York City was to look at depression, frailty, all of the sort of areas that one would expect when looking at aging. But the twist didn't come until I was at a conference and someone said, hey, why do you study aging? And I said, well, you know, we're helping people to overcome some of the issues like frailty and depression. He said, so we have nothing to look forward to in life. Is that what you're telling me? And I was blown away and I really felt almost embarrassed at this dinner party because I didn't have an answer for that. I was not looking at anything positive. So the area that I then moved to look at is what can we expect in our lifespan that is good? What's positive that we have to look forward to? And that's where I find that the findings that are most meaningful 
to me have come from. So it's been looking at what can we expect uh, in midlife and beyond that's positive. Like, why would you want to get older? Mm-hmm. And in fact, what we can expect is that even though we have physical decline as we get older, people tend to be happier. You're much happier at 50 than 20. And people don't expect that. People also don't expect that as you age, that you're going to be more satisfied with life. And you are. And so these were some of the exciting findings that I felt most, that I have felt most excited about. And that's what ended up launching the Mentor Project. But the the research I'd say that I was most known for was actually with regard to depression. When I started to look at work in nursing homes, I did a, uh, they call it an externship or or a practicum, and you need to go work somewhere in order to, because you're going to be practicing with individuals. So I was placed in a nursing home and I went around and they were saying how their numbers of depression were so low in this nursing home. But what I was doing was I was looking around, I was saying, well, it doesn't look like that, but I'm not the expert. I don't know. Okay. So it turned out that I said, all right, I have to do a study. This is not what I'm seeing. Uh, I'd rather just know that I'm wrong. So I did my dissertation on depression identification in the nursing homes. It turns out that uh, the study that I did uncovered it, about a 44% increase in people having initial meetings with the psychologists because they were having adjustment disorders or they were depressed. And that ended up leading to a change in how the nursing homes in the United States assess for depression. It got written up in an, into an article and it won an international award um, because we now look at assessing for depression differently from the governmental standard um, method that was used before. So that's... Wow, that's amazing. And and yeah. if you're listening to this, I mean, Debbie's a TEDx speaker, and I know that the one that the, you did, the what, the main talk is Rethinking Aging, right? It's one... Yeah. And it's really good. I saw it that it would be on the show notes. I mean, I think this is something that it's so inspirational. I, I've always told my husband that I feel a connection, of course, with babies. When you see a baby, they're so cute and you feel you want to help. But the elderly, you know, have always triggered something in me. Like my grandmother, she she ended up at a, at a nursing home in Italy. They're Italian. And uh, my mom lived in Venezuela, so she obviously we had a, a lot of things. And so I would go to visit them, and I would see all these, you know, grandpas and grandmas, uh, as you would say, you know, alone there and going through life in in a way where it's not that exciting. Unfortunately, this is in Sicily, in little town. It's not like the retirement homes that you see here, which is like the country club. Some of them, this is like you know, and uh, and so I always felt that sweet spot for, for, you know, the elderly and, and to think about they were people that had dreams that had, you know, that were active just like we are. And now, you know, they're there waiting for, you know, the end. It's a uh, heartfelt, definitely. Mm-hmm. You're right. I remember when, as a kid going down to visit my grandmother in Florida and I was in New York and we get on people's air. It was like, $50 round trip or something. It was so cheap. But wow. I would get to wow. spend hours listening to people tell their stories, all of her friends in the facility where she lived. 
telling their life stories. And to me, that was the most fascinating thing. Just like you said, babies and older adults, older adults just have, they're, they're overflowing with wisdom. And to me, that's really exciting. Absolutely. Same here. It's one of the things I enjoy the most is knowing the story, knowing the wisdom and, you know, well, I could keep talking about this. I want to move to the mentor program, but I'm going to ask you. So if you had to give advice to anybody that has an elderly a grandpa or grandma, I've lost all of them, unfortunately, already, but I have my parents that are already like grandpa age. <laughs> what advice would you give them, especially in these pandemic times? If there was something that, that you would say to help the elderly with depression and dealing with this new normal, is there anything you can share? Sure. I think the first thing to share is to stay as connected as you can. Uh, even a re weekly routine, if you can't meet with them in person to get any kind of visual device. And I know that some people can't do Zoom or Skype or it, it's just too difficult for some, but even a phone call is just super important. So staying connected, it's, it's absolutely more precious than people realize. Um, so doing that and telling other family members to be in contact as well. The other thing is to notice, if you notice things that are different, don't slough it off. Don't say, oh, okay, grandma or grandpa, they're saying things differently or they're, they're disengaged or they, they aren't looking forward to my phone calls anymore or they're missing them or they are saying that they're not watching TV or reading books like they used to. These are things that we really need to take note of because they can be an enormous indicator of something negative happening in their lives. So um, that's exactly how we noticed it with my grandmother. But It's treatable. So if you end up noticing something with a relative and you can get early treatment, it is very treatable. Ah, great. That's, I think, great advice and valuable in these times because if it's hard for us, uh, you know, I imagine the the elderly and, I, and I'm doing at least with my aunts in Italy, you know, they cannot go out and, and we established that. I'm calling them FaceTime every single week, which is something that I didn't used to do. I probably would call them once a month and it wasn't FaceTime. And uh, thank God that we gave her that iPad a while back. And now she says, this is the window to the world. And if I didn't have this, you know, and this is the other thing in fighting a little bit that resistant that some elderly have with regards to using the device. I say, make it easy. Put I put two icons on her iPad, the Facebook one and, you know, and, and, and she likes a solitaire. <laughs> But in any case, make it, okay, this is really easy for you to use. And, and I'm so happy we, we set her up that way. It's so, uh, such good advice to do the icon. And pretty much everyone likes solitaire that I've yeah, ever met. Right? <laughs> They, everyone like loves solitaire. So yeah, absolutely. But every um, older adult who I've been in contact with, so 80 or older, even solitaire, big email icon and a big, um, a big Skype or whatever your Zoom or whatever icon you can have there. Great. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad we talked about this because I think there's people there that can, you know, if you're listening to this and you have an elderly, uh, there you, you have an action item to make their life a little bit easier and more connected uh, in this time tough time. So let's move to the mentor program. I mean, I was so amazed besides reading all the amazing work you've done and uh, amazing background. Then you have, you, you founded the mentor program. 
and uh, you help people connect with the mentorship or you help people to become a mentor. So I, I don't want to steal the show, but tell me about this amazing project. It's actually, it's the mentor project. And oh. it was started because um, I was realizing that people were in need of, there were people who were saying, I want to mentor, but I don't know where to go. I don't know how to give back. I'll look like a weirdo if I go out and I try to um, mentor kids in STEM off the street or in schools and say, hey, can I mentor you? So we started the mentor project thinking it was just going to be a really small program. It turned out that, in fact, it grew legs so quickly that we went from 10 mentors last January to more than 70 at the end of December. And we have wow. a waiting list for people to move further. So we're really growing quite rapidly. People love giving back. And the reason they love giving back is because they're leaving a footprint. They're leaving a legacy. They're able to choose who and where and how they want to pass on their skills and their knowledge and their expertise. So we're really um, seeing that this is moving forward quite rapidly. Um, what we do is we put um, experts in fields in uh, STEM, arts, finance, law, business, uh, with kids around the world. We're global now. So what we, what we have are in-school presentations that, that we would give prior to the pandemic. And now that we're, um, you know, in the pandemic, we've been doing everything virtually. So we have more than 200 videos that we've created that are on YouTube and on our website. We do live streaming on Facebook. So kids in Africa who are not able to access the web in the same way, they're, um, they're able to go on social media, but web access costs money. So we have that available so they can download and take it where they want. We're in laundromats, libraries. We have, we serve kids who are pre-K all the way through university. Just wow. this past year, or we also helped one 17-year-old get his first ever provisional patent. Uh, oh. That just came through not long ago. That was wow. free. That was free assistance. Everything is free, by the way. All of yes. our mentors, all of every single person who works with us and who mentors, uh, gives back for free. And the other great thing is we just had a hackathon where we paired up with kids in Buenos Aires and the United States, and they didn't know each other beforehand. We mixed the groups so that they were working together. It wasn't friend groups coming together. And two of the four teams, are their projects are being looked at by a very large law firm to have their ideas patented and rolled out into um, potential apps and businesses. So wow. we really did not expect that, but we realized that when you bring elite mentors to kids with ideas, that's what makes the difference between a really cool idea and one that has life-changing legs. So that is really, so powerful. Yeah. Especially because I think, and I was going to ask you, like, uh, you know, to, to say who can go and, and maybe try to apply for the program and say, these kids that are asking me, what should I study? Like, are these, these are uh, high school kids. So for what you say, you go with a, like, did you say pre-K? 
Yes. We oh have my. a puppeteer who makes shows using puppets and storytelling. And so we start it at that age. So wow, the kids are amazing. It. You can make things out of household items and make it into a story. So um, wow, after this podcast, you may end with two new clients. I have my two children and, and a new mentor. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, How old are your children? Mine are six and ten. Um oh, but yeah, my 10-year-old, he's always looking for the new idea to patent, and the, he's very active, you know. And, and as a matter of fact, uh, my episode 100 is going to be with Seth Godin. Wow. Yes, and uh, so this is going to air a little bit ahead of that, so you're going to get that. But we taped it already, and he gives amazing, amazing feedback because I, I asked him that question specifically. So if you're listening out there, you're going to have to listen to episode 100 to see what he said. <laughs> but one of my questions to him being the great marketeer that he is, you know, is like, you know, as a mom of a 10 year old and a six year old, what should I be instilling in my kids? Because, you know, he talks a lot about schooling and the traditional method of schooling. And I, I'm hundred percent with him in a few things. And it's funny, but you know, it's not that far away from what you're saying, like partnering with people that you know, talents, mentors that have skills and then nurturing. So my husband yesterday bought the first gaming computer for my son, but not to play. He wants to code. He wants to learn to code and say, okay, if he wants, let's see how long it lasts. But uh, the fact that he has that curiosity, you want to make sure that you instill in them and give them the tools to explore it. You're saying exactly what Bill Cheswick said. And he's the reason that this got off to the start that it did. He said he wanted to get kids who were, you know, around third and fourth grade uh, before they get jaded to teach them things like quantum mechanics and coding, things that they that kids really get excited about, but they don't know that it exists yet. And by the time they get into the routine of school, a lot of them lose that. So that advice that you got was spot on. Yeah. And, and to be honest, as a parent, too, because I think me, me and my husband are a little bit non-conventional. We always in every discussion, we always kind of take a different path. I don't know why he's Dutch. And, and I don't know, I'm very independent thinker. But you see how people, they get stuck so much on being on the advanced class. Like we've always said, I don't know if I want my kid on the advanced class, because that takes away time that he could be exploring other things, other interests. And that's one of the things I discussed with Seth Godin. And people look at us like, are you crazy? If they, if they can be in the AP, like the parents go fight at school because sometimes they think their yeah. kids belongs there. And it's that kind of competition through their kids into what kind of career they study and what kind, like it reflects on the family and on the parents. And, and I think it's, it's a very dangerous hook to bite. When you think like that, because then maybe you're stripping your kid from the strongest talents he came with. You're right. I, you know, I talk about in the, in the TEDx talk also, you're exactly right. That's a hundred percent. We live our life by boxes, checking boxes. So we have an expectation of what we're going to go through. And it starts very young that you take the um, advanced classes because that's going to get you into the better class in high school. That's going to get you into the better college. That's going to get you into the better job. We spend all of our time checking boxes without looking around ourselves and without getting a real concept of our surroundings. And by the time we hit midlife, 
we say, oh, wow, you know, where am I? What do I, you know, what have I done? Where, what, what's next? What do I do now that I'm an expert in something? But that the advice to sort of um, take a look around yourself and not live by box checking is really quite important. And that's one of the reasons why we're so passionate about get, getting mentoring out there because kids like, like your children and like every other child out there, they like to pursue things at their own pace and what inspires them. Everyone gets inspired by something else. You might look at something outside and get inspired. It might be that you have, you see something, a house that, that broke and you want to fix it. Or there's some, some kind of an, a concept that comes to you and you say, this, this has been bothering me for a while. If you're checking boxes, you're not going to think that you're the person that can solve that problem. You're going to think, let me go learn. And later on, I'll, I'll go into a job and then I'll be able to fix something like that. Whereas if you're sort of allowed to pursue things on your own, you're going to say, I can do that now. I, it doesn't matter if you're 10, you're going to, you're going to think you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I interviewed one of my very first episodes, and now we're almost at a hundred. So now I cannot name exactly which one, but I could if I go into it. It was someone that mentioned how they study basically on what classes they liked. So they didn't set up to go into a one particular career path. He took the classes where he liked the, the teachers or professors the most. And he said, okay, I would, I would go, I chose a school and then I chose the classes that I wanted to take based on what I liked the most. And then it got to a point, sure, that we, he had fulfilled certain curricula. And then that's why eventually he ended up getting a degree. But basically, he did, he said, I didn't choose a degree. I chose classes. And then so where that took me, and that's the degree he eventually got. And I thought that was also kind of intuitive and a great way to, to pursue a career. Absolutely. You know, one of the one of the teams that we had that um, is being that is being pursued by a law firm for the patenting, the leader of it was 14. And wow. to have a team led by a 14-year-old um, girl, a young woman, for an idea that people who are in the industry and doing things in computing and apps and coding, no one else picked it up, that really does speak to exactly what you're saying, that it's all out there, it's all available. It, there isn't anything that really, really should stop anybody. And you can start at any age being um, an inventor or uh, making a difference in the world. Wow. I mean, Debbie, you really bring it full circle. You put your work into helping the elderly and, and rethinking aging and helping deal with how to really get to the end of the line in the best possible way and the best mental state. And then you bring it back into the kids as they start their life. So you really uh, have created a full circle of wisdom in all your initiatives that, that, that you do. And that's so admirable and inspirational. Thank you. You know, I, I think that being a developmental psychologist is part of the reason why I do that, because our whole life, it, we think of life as a, as a sort of a hierarchy that we just keep continuing up in one direction, but it doesn't work that way. We have all kinds of things moving in lots of different directions and it always comes full circle. You know, you, we all have people of varying ages in our lives and we have to know where each person might be and how to interact uh, with each other and how to get along with each other 
And if we know that every age has a superpower to it, then it's, that's what the benefit is. And kids do have superpowers. They really do have a much, much more ability than we give them credit for. Um, kids are not just able to do well in school. They can make change in the world. And older adults, if we, if we forget about them, we're wasting our most precious natural resource because they are our wisdom. They're our experts. They house all the knowledge of how to get through life. And so when you pair up kids with older adults, that's where the magic happens because the, the idea from the child is nurtured by someone who has the expertise and says, oh, I've tried that down that path. Don't go there. Or this will probably work to get you where, you where you need to go. And so that's the magic that we're seeing over and over and over again with the Mentor Project. I love it. I really am a, a big fan already. All this info will be on the show notes. And uh, I want to give you an opportunity. Is there anything else that you haven't discussed? Anything, other initiatives that you're excited about in 2021? Anything? Oh, 2021, we're excited to roll out a lot more programs with the Mentor Project. Um, I think that we're going to really try to get, uh, we're putting a coding course in the summer. Your, your children will probably, oh, probably be interested Christian in would love it. <laughs> and, um, we're going to be rolling out a few different podcasts. We're doing a high school and a college series that's monthly. We did an initial kickoff in January. They're going to be uh, bi-weekly. And what we're going to do is, uh, our first one was Charlie Camarda, the astronaut, came on and uh, kids from college were able to go in and in a network with him. But then we also put them with kids they've never met so they can learn how to network with each other because most people only think to network with those who can help them uh, hierarchically. So we're going to be looking a lot more at lateral mentorship, um, which is something that I'm super passionate about and have been writing about. And we're trademarking that term, which is mentoring across. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess that you should be expecting a little more writing and a lot more talking about lateral mentorship and the power of that. Awesome. I think that's uh, really, really something to look forward to. I will definitely sit down with my kids in the, at the mentor project and explore it because this is something as a mom that I feel very compelled to get them involved with. And uh, I cannot end my interview without asking you the one question I ask everybody, which in your case to me is very obvious. There are some interviews that is almost redundant, but I always ask people what makes you tick. So besides what you share with us and the work you do in the moments where you feel down, when you, I always try to, to help my audience realize that there there's the highs and there's the lows and there's times where we feel so connected with what we do and what really represents our essence and there's times where we really cannot tap into it what is it that you tap into with when you have one of those moments and you want to get going again all of my meaningful connections i think that for me that's the core for everything if i'm feeling great i ta i tap into one of my meaningful connections if I'm feeling low, I tap into one of, my, one of my meaningful connections. And it doesn't matter if they're near or far. Um, I, I need to make a phone call, and that's exactly what I do. Um, and I honestly, from research, we know that meaningful connections are what leads us to happiness and feeling 
fulfilled in life. And that's exactly where I go. Well, that's uh, that's uh, great to hear because I kind of sometimes do the same thing. <laughs> I use other things, but I rely a lot on on that. And people sometimes, people that know you also remind you of things that you sometimes allow yourself to forget in the journey. So yes, that that that's great advice. I thank you for that. I thank you for all the amazing job you're doing, and uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, lately, I I cannot stop talking about all these amazing guests that are coming through the show. And I just feel so inspired at the end of it, that that's really why, why I keep doing it. So I hope you out there that uh, listen to this inspirational um, journey, uh, took notes, and I'm sure you have someone to mentor in your life. So one that you can guide them into <clears throat> powerful mentorship and also uh, uh, an elderly that you can uh, bright some, shine some light on and, and make their happy day. So thank you, Debbie, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This was a pleasure speaking speaking with you today. And I can't wait to listen to all of your podcasts. Oh, that's New very sweet. <laughs> thank you so much. And I'm sure I'm sure with all the work you're doing that you'll be back, maybe on episode two hundred <laughs> um, <laughs> to share to share progress. Thank you so much, I Debbie. Thank you. Take care. All right. Until a new episode of Back to Basics. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. And until the next time. <laughs>